My name is Mark. I'm new here. And I just jumped in here a few months ago. And one of the first weeks that I was like paying real close attention to ACC is we were jumping into this Acts series. And it's been a forever long series, and we're about halfway over with the series. But just to catch you up, if you are new here, uh, we, the book of Acts starts with like the Holy Spirit descending on the disciples after Jesus goes back to heaven, and it's just the church comes ablaze. Like it is impacting all the known world. People are coming by the thousands to join into the fellowship. They're giving away their things. They're living differently from the culture. Culture like bumps back in against them and they call that persecution and they fight back. They arrest folks. They kill folks. And all of the attempts of the darkness to push back on the light, it always fails and more people show up. We have Paul getting converted at one point. We have meetings happening. We have uh, first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas take off and start churches all over the world. And it's so powerful that two weeks ago, um, we saw something that was crazy because they had to have a meeting. The church had to have its first like official meeting of how do we deal with an issue because the Holy Spirit came on the Jews, but not just the Jews, but it came on the Gentiles. And this was a major conflict point because all the Jews were like, wait a second, the Gentiles can't have the Holy Spirit. They've got to be fully Jewish, which the subtext of that, we need the, we need the Gentiles, all the men that are Gentiles that are not Jewish, we need them to get circumcised if they're going to ever be a part of us. And then they get the whole of the church together in Jerusalem. They have a meeting, and they're like, all right, here's the deal. The Gentiles and the Jews, to coexist, here's kind of our, they call it the Jerusalem Council. Here's kind of our letter. We go deliver this letter, Paul and Barnabas, back to Antioch. Here's what the letter says. It's essentially don't eat meat, um, sacrifice to idols, don't have blood, be around blood, and don't um, practice any form of sexual immorality. But you don't have to be circumcised. To all the men in Antioch, you're like, praise ye the Lord. Anybody grow up in church? <laughs> Speaking of that, who did grow up in church? Raise your hand if you're, if you're a church person in here. Yeah, I did too. But I think if you read a story like this today, we're going to read two different accounts that are in the book of Acts. If you read them together, it gives you some insight into the way things happen in church. Because I'm pretty convinced that those of us that raised our hands and grew up in church, a lot of us were probably also witnessing some like hard things in the church. There's people here that you've been a part of a church split to where things were going well and then something happens in the life of the church and then it splits apart and people go in different directions. And how in the world do you deal with that? And what do you do with it when the church that you love breaks apart or has conflict or tension that doesn't feel like it can reconcile. So I want to pray for you, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, for these people, give them insight into your word in this moment. Let me get out of the way. So name we pray. Amen. Do you have your Bibles today? Anybody? You hold them up. We do that here. If you don't have a Bible, sorry. No, if you don't have a Bible, uh, bring one next time if you come back with us. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. This is right where we jump in, Acts chapter 15. Now, most people, when they read Scripture, they're like, I'm going to read a chapter today, and then tomorrow I'm going to read another chapter. Today, though, we're going to read the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of 16. So, anybody there? You ready? If you're there, say you're there. I say that because Miles says that. Verse number 36 is where I'm going to start reading. Sometime later, this is after the Jerusalem Council, and they've gone, Paul and Barnabas have gone back to Antioch, the church on fire. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back to visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. 
But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, chapter 16. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the, church, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This is kind of the second part. This is the start of the second part of the story of the early church in Acts. So Paul, Luke right here, the writer, would have said, hey, that we had the first missionary journey, we had the seedlings of the church, and now we're some time later. The church has made a declaration on what Gentiles and Jews should do to coexist, and now they're on part two of what God is about to do with them. And this is what is so beautiful about this. Verse 36, sometime later, this is, again, a few years later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back to visit the believers in the towns where we preach the word of the Lord to see how they were doing. There is this temptation within the church to view missions and events and conferences and things like that to just try to get numbers. Like we want to get salvations and we want to make converts. Early on in the second missionary journey reveals the heart of Paul saying, I'm not just interested in getting a bunch of people to make a single decision. I'm interested in helping people over the lifetime follow Jesus. So if you're ever wondering what the heartbeat of Paul is, it's discipleship, not just conversion. He wants to go back. So he goes to his buddy, Barnabas, who Barnabas stood up for him when nobody believed in him. And they had been traveling to all of these places, launching churches, teaching people that Jesus is king, according to the scriptures. And he's like, let's go back. This is a good idea. We're going to make disciples here. We're the remnant on mission. And Barnabas is like, yes, I want to go. Barnabas, though, wanted to take John, also called John Mark, with them. For the sake of clarity, we're just going to call him John Mark because he gets called both names in both places. And we're in the South, so we understand double names. So we're just going to call him John Mark the rest of the time just to make it more simple. Do I have any double name people in here? Y'all are embarrassed to raise your hand now. That's okay. The thing, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him because he's his cousin. They like are related. And Barnabas, if you remember anything from what we talked about, Barnabas is like an encouraging, loving, happy-go-lucky guy that everybody wants to be around. So he's like, Barnabas is like, this is a great idea. We should go back and visit all those churches. I love the idea, Paul. And I'm going to bring my cousin, John Mark, and Paul. Verse 38, but Paul did not think it wise. Everybody underline the word wise right there. We'll come back to it. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Picture this. Paul on this side is like, we're going to go back. We've been here in Antioch for a few years now. The church here is still on fire. We're going to go back to all of those churches that we went to and we're going to like rekindle the fire there and it's going to be awesome. Barnabas, you want to go? Barnabas over here is like, I love that idea. I, th I think you're awesome, Paul. You're the greatest guy ever. And John... John Mark wants to come with us too, and we're going to bring him along. And Paul's over here going, no, don't even think about it. Do you remember when he, and that's where the scripture I wish would fill in more blanks. Because all we know is he, we, 
deserted them in Pamphylia. Like, it doesn't say anywhere in the text of, like, what happened there. Even if you go back in Acts when he leaves them, it's just like, and then he was there, and then he wasn't. But apparently Paul is so irritated, frustrated, annoyed, hurt, whatever language you need to put in there, that he's like, no, Barnabas, I love you, but no. I'm a man of conviction. You are not bringing him along with me. Scholars have a million theories about this some of them are like, hey, he was just, John Mark was just way too Jewish, and he was seeing the Holy Spirit fall on Gentiles, and he was just totally thrown off. Therefore, he had to like go home because he's like, I can't handle this. There's other people that think he had like a chronic injury, and he just literally couldn't go on with him, or he got sick, or people are like, did he get scared or tired, or did he just miss somebody? Else? No one knows. All we know is that Paul is very convinced, no, he is not going with us back on this next missionary journey. And it's unfortunate because verse 39 continues. They, Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. The language here for sharp disagreement is a super aggressive, emotional, painful, probably loud, public Disagreement that leaves them going in totally different directions. Some of y'all had that on the way to church this morning with your spouse. You're driving here and you're talking about something. And you're like, God, oh, I can't even go to church today. Or it happens for us, Courtney and I, on our way to weddings. It's like we go to this beautiful, blissful thing and we're like, can't talk to each other on the way. I don't know what it is, but it's this public thing of like, and everybody sees it. And it's these brothers in Christ that the church in Antioch had been paying attention to, listening to, learning from modeling their life after, they go at each other and then part ways. This is what it says. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Barnabas and his cousin go home. Barnabas is from Cyprus. He goes home. Luke, the writer of Acts, never brings him up again. There's apparently something so painful here that Luke, the writer, is like, hey, we're just going to send Barney and his buddy home. See ya. But Paul, Paul right here, he's going to choose Silas, who would have been a leader from the church in Jerusalem that came down with a letter from the Jerusalem council, who would have had Roman citizenship and been a Jew. So he's like upgrading buddies, Paul is. He's like, no, and I'm going to get the like backing of the church, and we're going to leave over this. This is two, again, brothers in Christ that have launched churches built on grace and lordship to Jesus that come together in such a painful way that they have to part company. And the church would have seen it. And it was public. Well, again, what do you do when there's such tension in a church in a body of believers, that it seems like people have to go in separate directions. What do you do with that in 2023? For, I'm, I'm convinced of this. For some people in the room, when you hear a story about two believers that can't get together on an issue, you feel a validation in you because you've got some political beliefs that are so different from the people sitting around you that you don't want to talk to. You've got such different political beliefs on the way things should be and shouldn't be, that you're like, I can't be with that person. And him saying that those believers couldn't, they had to go in different directions, that validates you. But that is not what this story is about. When you have an issue with someone else over a topical thing, that is not a reason to separate from them. 
For this, some people have taken a text like this and said, okay, so two believers can not get along and then they can part company. Does that, does that mean that I can divorce my spouse? That is not what this text is about. These two are not in a covenant relationship before God and their friends. That is not a justification for divorce. That's not what this text is about. This text is not even about how do you manage tension and conflict well in the church. It's not about that. But speaking of tension in the church, you've got to know this. I haven't been here this long. I moved here in May. And one of the things that I love about this church is that tension doesn't go unaddressed. If you, if, again, for those of us that grew up in church, when you notice tension or you feel tension rising in a church, that is not an indicator necessarily that it is an unhealthy place. Unaddressed, pushed down tension, tension that nobody wants to talk about because why would I bring that up? Somebody might get their feelings hurt. Tension, that, that's what grows into a mess. This church staff, the leadership at this church, is willing to elevate tension. One of the staff core values is candor, that when we notice something about somebody that feels off, we're going to be quick to address that because we don't want to let any unaddressed conflict grow into something that it shouldn't be. This church staff handles conflict so well, and they elevate and illuminate tension. So if you've ever been to ACC and you're like, is this a tension point? It might be, but we're going to elevate it, and we're going to talk about it and deal with it. We're not scared of it. So if you notice tension here ever, it's actually an indicator of illuminated tension that's healthy for an organization. But that's just a, a little side note. You, some of you are like, I didn't need all that, but that's fine. So what do we go, and you're like, it's tense here? No, it's actually not that tense here at all. But back to our story, Paul and Barnabas. Again, sometimes you read scripture and you're like, I'm going to do exactly like they did. What would Jesus do? I'm going to wear the wristband. You know, all the things. Paul and Barnabas, Paul is not Jesus and he's not perfect. Barnabas is not Jesus and he's not perfect. Sometimes when you read scripture, you have to look through it the lens of what do I not want to do? What can I learn from these two people that have caused such pain for each other that they're going to go in different directions? How do I handle this? What do I do with it? The thing you need to note about what Paul and Barnabas are arguing about, Paul says, I don't think it wise to take John Mark with us. This argument is not about right or wrong. This argument is not about sin. This argument is not about doctrine. This argument, at the end of the day, is about their preference. Paul over here is like, my preference is that little guy over there never come with us again. He is not allowed to go with us. That is my preference. Barnabas is over here saying, my preference is my cousin whom I love, I encourage, I encourage you. It's my preference that he goes with us. Oftentimes, when we have a preference, apparently with these two, they had a preference, you start building a case for a preference. You start advocating for a preference, and after you build a case for a preference, and you advocate for a preference, you tend to rally a little crew around you. They're like, don't we all think we should do blank? Don't you all think? And it's all rooted in a personal preference. The problem is, when your personal preference, when you build a case for it, when you give it a lot of energy, when you get people to come around your personal preference, it transitions into a conviction. It goes from what you want to what you believe is right. When you have a personal preference that becomes a conviction, it will become a problem every single time. When you have a personal preference that becomes a conviction, and you don't do this on purpose, it just kind of happens. This is the way sin kind of comes out of you in moments. You get a personal preference. This is the way I want it. 
And then it becomes a conviction. No, this is the way it should be. You're willing to do anything to make that happen. And I'm firmly convinced that all the people in here that raised your hand about you grew up in church, you've seen people's personal preferences wreck churches over and over and over again because people come from other churches to new churches. And people have preferences about the way they want churches run or the programs they want. And you've seen it play out like this of like, hey, um, I used to go to that church, but we all left because we don't like the way they do music. And you're like, what's wrong with the music? They're like, they sing hymns. One, two, and him stands at number four. They always leave out three. And you're like, why did they leave out three? I don't know. We should all leave and go somewhere else. Where are you going to go? I'm going to go to that church down the road, the one that waves their flags and raises hands in worship. Yeah. No, I don't go there. Like, I don't, I don't I have a preference there. You're like, I don't want to go to that church anymore because they have an Italian guy who shouts at you when he preaches. And you're like, this church doesn't use the Bible enough. This church uses the Bible too much. I don't like the way they, where they do children's ministry at this church. I don't like who they have doing youth ministry at this church. And then the people get together and they're like, yeah, I don't like that either. Let's go over here and let's start our own thing. And then these personal, someone's personal preference became so powerful that it became a conviction that they rallied a crowd. And then all of a sudden there's division in the church. All rooted in someone's personal preference. But if we're honest, we've seen this in our like interpersonal relationships too. If you're married, if you're in a relationship, if you have a parent, you're like, I've definitely been in an argument where if I would have had any clarity of mind, I know that we're not fighting over a right or wrong issue. We're fighting over a preference that I have. And I'm so mad about this preference that it's become a conviction that I'm willing to bulldoze anything to get my way. Has anybody ever been married before? You're, you're with me on this? You ever, have you had the fight over the dishwasher of like what goes on the top rack, what goes on the bottom rack, where do you put the fork? Like I've had the fight where you're like, why am I fighting about the dishwasher or folding towels? That's a whole nother thing. I still don't know that we have resolution on that. But like you, you, you get so worked up about something and you step back from it for just a second and you're like, I was sweating mad over a, something just I wanted. I said you're a wrong human because the way you folded my t-shirt like it's a personal preference. When you let it grow in you, it's going to become a conviction and it's going to cause a problem. But back to church. Some of you, you've seen this play out at church and you've been hurt by it. Some of you are back for like the first time in a while because you're like, I did watch this go south in a church. Some leaders get sideways with each other or a split over the coffee or whatever it is, or we're going to put carpet in the, in the sanctuary, whatever it is. You know, you saw the church split over the thing, and you were on the other side of it and got hurt. And now you're walking around with what most people say, I have church hurt. But let's call it what it is. You do not have church hurt in most cases. What you have in most cases is you're on the other side of someone's personal preference that became a conviction. You need to call them by name. Don't just say the church generically hurt me. Call it by name. Say, no, that person believes so much in their personal preference that they let it become a conviction, and that was a problem for all of us. Paul looks like a man of conviction here. He honestly looks a little bit like a jerk. He sends Barnabas and his buddy back home where he takes the authority of the church and continues on with the upgrade of Silas in some cases. 
But I'm, what you're about to see, this is why it's so good to read these texts together. Because he looks like a jerk in this passage, but what you're about to see, what he's going to do to lay down his preferences in the next chapter, is so stinking good. So verse number one of chapter 16. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple, Timothy, lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area. For they all knew his father was a Greek. This is Timothy of Timothy fame. This is Timothy of First and Second Timothy. This is the young protege who's about to follow Timothy for, I mean Paul for a long time and become a significant leader in the church. This is his origin story. And what we know from the text right here is that his mother is a Jewish person. And she's a believer in Jesus. We learn from a later letter that Paul writes to Timothy that his grandmother was the same way. She was a Jewish person who became a believer. His father was Greek, and he had a great reputation of being a disciple of Jesus for all the surrounding areas, and he was probably a teenager. So the church has this guy's attention, and they're like, this is our guy. This is the future. This is the this is the one Paul should meet when Paul comes back. Paul shows back up. And he's like, yes, he is awesome. I'm building a dream team right now. We need to take Timothy with us. And he's like, Timothy, you need to come. But before you come with us, you need to be circumcised. Which feels super ironic. Because likely in his satchel on his back, Paul has a letter from the church in Jerusalem that says, Gentiles do not have to be circumcised in order to have full fellowship in the body of believers. They don't have to have any of that. And Paul is looking at Timothy saying, yeah, I need you to leave home and I need you to be circumcised. Why is that? The religious lineage and heritage of a person in this era would have run through the mother. So Timothy, by just being born to a Jewish woman who's a follower of Jesus, he would have been a fully Jew Jewish person. Like he would have been recognized by almost everybody as a Jewish person. But in Lystra, Lystra, you need to understand, it's like this backwoods hill country town. Like it's literally in the valley and there's hill people that will believe anything and they're not necessarily educated. It's really only a town because it's a good pass through some mountains and the Romans put a garrison there and they're like, hey, this is just going to be a little cut through town. Don't worry about it. But his father, the way Luke records it, is his father is a Greek which would have been totally different from the hill people. His father would have been one of the elite men in the whole community. He would have been educated in all the ways that the Greeks were educated. People would have seen him and said, that guy's smart and that guy's successful. He is elite. That's Timothy's dad. So at some point in their story, Timothy's mom becomes a believer and the dad's a Greek and not a believer. And at some point in the story, the dad said, hey, honey, yeah, you could take Timothy to temple or Bible study or whatever it is y'all do. Y'all can go pray. That's cute. Like, that's awesome. But I don't, I'm, I'm educated. I'm smart. I don't believe any of that stuff. But if you want to do that with Timothy, that's fine. But no, we're not circumcising him. That's like backwoods barbaric thing. We're not doing that to my son. And the mom's like, okay. So he'd have functioned as a Jewish person, but without the indicator, the physical indicator of being a Jew. He was not circumcised. So why is Paul looking at this Teenager and saying, yeah, you need to come with us. The future is bright. You have to be circumcised. Because Paul knew the Jews in the area well. And Paul wanted to build the dream team. He had himself, who was a very decorated Jewish person that was a believer, and he had Roman citizenship. 
Silas had a bunch of that too. And now you can pick up a Jewish believer who also has some of the education from a Greek father. When you go to navigate the future of the world, this is it. But Paul didn't want any Jewish believer to have a stumbling block or a thing to point to in Timothy and saying, yeah, y'all just lost credibility. I know the Jesus thing's awesome, but y'all just lost credibility because that guy, the Jewish boy, is not circumcised. How in the world? How in the world does Paul roll into a town, get introduced to the superstar Timothy, the young kid? How in the world does he walk into town and say, Timothy, I need you to leave town with me. I'm inviting you onto the journey. We're going to all these places that's not always going to end well, and I need you to have major surgery before we go. How do you do that? How does Timothy get, how does Paul get so persuasive? He's like, Timothy, Let's have surgery and let's leave. I imagine it a lot like this. This is not Paul's first journey into Lystra. If you're here with us a few weeks ago, Brad Jones mentioned this. Just a few years before this, Paul was in Lystra with Barnabas and they started a church and gathered some believers together. They healed a crippled person. The whole hill, like the hill people came out of the hills and they're like, oh my gosh, the gods have arrived because they'll believe anything. And they're like, the gods have arrived. Let's worship them. But then the text says that some Jewish people from other towns came and stirred up the people against Paul and Barnabas. So much so that Paul and Barnabas, Paul specifically, was pulled out. And they threw rocks at him. They stoned him to the point that they carried him outside the city. And they left him for dead because they thought he was dead. Paul sits in front of Timothy and is like, Timothy... I know this doesn't make sense, but I'm telling you, we have been given all power and all authority to help people understand that Jesus is king according to the scriptures, and he's empowered me to do it by the Holy Spirit. And Paul's looking at Timothy going, I feel certain he's empowered you to do it, and I want to invite you in. But I need you, in the way the text says it, he wants to have him circumcised for the Jews who lived in that area. I want these Jews right here in Lycia to get it. Paul's thinking, these are the same Jews that just a few years ago that likely picked up rocks and threw them at me. And now I'm back. That was not my preference to come back here. I had it good in Antioch. And now I'm back here in a city where they tried to kill me. I'm back here in this city where they threw rocks at me and left me for dead. I'm in this same city here and it's not my preference. I'm going to lay down that preference because there's something bigger in front of me. And I want to tell you, Timothy, if you only knew what laid in front of you, you would lay aside the preference of not being circumcised and you would join me on what God is doing because the Jews in this area, not just the world, the Jews right here in this area, I want to circumcise you because of them. Because their faith is that important to me. Their faith is that vital to me. I need you to lay down your personal preferences. How do I know? How do I know this is something like he would have said a few years later? He wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. You don't have to turn there. We'll have it on screen, but you can write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is what he says. You get a sneak peek into what motivates Paul. He says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Timothy, to the Jews in your area, become like a Jew. Why? 
to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Why? So as to win those under the law. To those not even having the law, like the Gentiles. Why? To win those not having the law. And here it is. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. A shared purpose, a compelling shared purpose overshadows personal preferences. Every time. When the vision and the mission is so big and so vital and so inclusive of God's people, you think about your personal preferences, you're like, that's so secondary and so unnecessary that I will chase after whatever Jesus is inviting me into. And if you've forgotten Auburn Community Church, what we are being invited to, we started it with week one in this series. We are a remnant on mission. And for some reason, literally, I just sat out in the lobby with a friend of mine and who'd never been here before, been here before. And he said, God's spirit is here. I said, yes. I don't know how to explain it, but God is present here and he's inviting us to not just gather in a room, but to be a remnant on mission for Auburn, for Birmingham, Lake Martin, and all of our surrounding areas, for whoever's watching this through a screen, we're being invited in. Why do we have to become all things to all people? Why do we have to lay aside our personal preferences and not let them become convictions? Why? Because I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. And Auburn Community Church, if you feel your personal preferences rising in here, you've forgotten the mission that we've been invited into that is so much bigger and greater than anything. If you think this church is about trying to get you to be your best version of yourself, you're at the wrong church. If you came here with an itch that you need scratched to feel validated and good about yourself, that's just not what we're interested in. We're interested in advancing the gospel, to see, to like expediting the return of Jesus, to seeing our lost neighbors, they're everywhere, come find Jesus as King Jesus, according to the scriptures, to tell everybody that Jesus is win, not, not to make ourselves feel better. We're being included in what he's doing, not just what we wanna do. So what do you do with that? got three suggestions and they all start with the letter R because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. For some of you, you need to reconcile. You, when I talk about Paul and Barnabas breaking up, you didn't leave that story. You missed the whole second part because you're thinking about the person that you saw on the way in and you're like, I don't want to see them. You know the name of the person that if they called you now or texted you, you'd be like, all the anxiety would rise. Because some of you have gotten so locked up in your personal preference for something that it became a conviction for you and you hurt someone else. You got to reconcile with him. Why? Because if you play out the story, and we will through the book of Acts, Paul later calls Barnabas in another letter like his trusted brother. Another letter, like 13 years after this was written, 13 years after this episode, Paul, <laughs> he sends a letter and he's like, hey, bring John Mark 
back to be a brother in Christ. They parted ways, but didn't. At some point, they became reconciled, and they made things right. And John Mark, in the middle of all this pain, still didn't leave the church in the way of Jesus because he was the key eyewitness for the gospel of Mark. Like he's included in this story, even though they caused each other pain. For some of you, you need to take active steps in reconciling with someone that you've hurt because you had a preference that somehow turned into a conviction and you caused a problem. For some of you, you just need to realign with the mission of what we're doing to be a remnant on mission. You just got to realign because some of you have been frustrated with us or the church or something in your life to the point that it's taken precedent and even lordship over you and you're so irritated by it and you're so caught up and anxious about it that you've forgotten that we've been invited into a bigger mission. And if you want any reason that why we need a bigger mission, check the news. What's happening in Israel right now literally makes me want to vomit. And if the church can do anything, to expedite the return of Jesus. If the church can pray any direction. Guys, the mission is too big for us to get caught in our petty things with each other. You're being invited into being a part of changing the world and you're worried about who your facilitator is or if we have enough programs as you're invited in. Some of you just need to realign your vision that Jesus wins and we're being invited into that. And lastly, you need to find some people to run together with. There's so many people that watch through a screen, which is awesome. But if you're sitting by yourself in here or through a screen and you're trying to live this life, it's just not gonna work. Paul and Barnabas parted ways and they went with other people. They had people. The church gathers with people got to find some people. And I know that's hard. I know that's difficult, but you got a room full of willing people that will engage with you in relationship. If you play out this story a little bit further, I believe it's verse four. Paul and Timothy and Silas, as they traveled from town to town, this is what they did. They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to what? Obey. When you obey, you see a bigger picture. Shared purpose. When you have a shared purpose, it will help overshadow a personal preference. They had the people obey. So the churches, verse 5, were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. This it's the life that you're being invited into. We're about to take communion, which is our remembrance of why all of this is possible in the first place. None of this. This is empowered and animated and given authority by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. And when we take communion, we do this in remembrance of all that he's done for us. If you don't have a communion set, if you didn't get one on the way in, you can raise your hand. Our team will get it for you. We also have communion stations up in the top and over here on the sides you can use, but I want to invite you to try something a little different today. If there's somebody that you're like, I need to be reconciled towards them, consider, consider that. But for others of you, we always say, husbands, pray over your families. 
do that. But if you're here with a group of people, consider circling up and taking communion together so that we can run together this race. If you're here by yourself, make eye contact with somebody now. It won't be weird. And they will join you in this communion effort. If you aren't a believer, if you're here just visiting with us, you can just put your cup under the chair. I want to pray for you. Then we'll continue on. Father, for the people of this room, would you give them the grace to see you? Would you give them the strength to call preferences what they are? They're the outworking of our sin, just being selfish. Would you let the next few minutes, would your Holy Spirit be so thick in this space that people are like, oh my gosh, God is here. We are not ever going to worship a man or a place. We're going to worship a risen Savior, Jesus, because you win. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.